in your copy of the scriptures this morning, will you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16? Luke, chapter 16. We come to a few verses in the middle of chapter 16 that I want to look at with you over the next couple of Sundays. This morning, we're going to be looking at chapter 16 and uh, verse 16 and verse 17. And one of the difficulties about these few verses in the middle of chapter 16 of Luke is how they fit into the context. Because chapter 16 as a whole has a pretty unified theme of the way that we as disciples of Jesus should uh, view money and resources or possessions. And so last week we looked at the parable of the shrewd steward, the shrewd manager. And Jesus drew from that parable a lesson on the necessity to prepare for the next life now. And the way that we prepare for the next life now is by sacrificing now and preparing for the future by laying up treasures in heaven. So in the parable of the shrewd steward, he was shrewd, he was wise because he sacrificed in the moment to prepare for future opportunities. Jesus drew that principle out and says, we as disciples now need to have that same mindset that that we should, with the wealth, with the money that God has blessed us with, we should be using it generously. We should be using it charitably. We should not be loving money, loving possessions, because if we save our life now, we're going to lose it. But if we sacrifice now, if we give our life now, then we will save it. And so if we're generous with our resources now, then we will be preparing a way for us for heavenly treasure in eternal life. Then at the end, we have another story of the rich man and Lazarus, where a rich man who had everything in this life, but ends up in hell. And Lazarus, who was poor, a poor beggar, but yet he ends up in paradise with Abraham. And so both the opening parable and the concluding story of the Gospel of Luke have to do with basically trading worldly wealth now for heavenly treasure then in eternity. But in the middle of those two passages, we have verses 16 to 18. And it's hard to see immediately how they fit into the context. One suggestion is that verse 16 mentions the law and the prophets. And that phrase appears again in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Because uh, Abraham is going to say, your brothers, they have the law and the prophets. So they should listen to them. And so that's one suggestion is that the mention of the law and the prophets in the story of the rich man and Lazarus gives rise to this section. But I think another probably better explanation as to why these verses are here is because of how the last passage ended. The last passage ended with the Pharisees mocking, sneering, making fun of Jesus and his teachings. So Jesus tells this parable of the shrewd steward about 
basically sacrificing now in order to prepare for future opportunities, prepare for eternal life. And Luke tells us in verses 14 and 15 that the Pharisees mocked Jesus. And Luke tells us why. Because they loved money. So Jesus is specifically addressing the love of money in the parable of the shrewd steward and the necessity to give up worldly treasures to prepare for eternal life. And the Pharisees, the Pharisees respond by mocking him because their hearts are given over to money and worldly possessions. And Jesus makes the comment. He says, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. And so this mocking by the Pharisees really fits into what we've seen over the last couple of chapters in Luke. And that is the Pharisees really disgruntled about who Jesus is and what he's doing. So in chapter 15, the Pharisees mock Jesus because he is sitting with tax collectors and sinners and eating with them. And so Jesus responds by telling the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son to emphasize the point God delights. God rejoices when a lost sinner repents and comes home. And so the Pharisees have been continually mocking Jesus, criticizing him, looking for ways to oppose him, to trip him up. And they are, they're denying who Jesus is and his authority. And I think that's really what these central verses in chapter 16 are about. Essentially, they're about the authority of Jesus. Who is Jesus? What gives him the right to teach these things? What gives him the right to rebuke the Pharisees, the religious leaders like Jesus does? What gives him this right and this authority? And I think these verses address that issue of who Jesus is and how authoritative he is. And so we're going to be looking at verses 16 and 17, specifically how the law relates to the coming of the kingdom of Christ. So verse 16 says this, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Let's pray together this morning. Our Father, we thank you that we have the time that we have this morning to look to your word, to seek to understand these words of Christ, to see their significance for all of biblical history, And also to see their significance for our individual lives as your people. So Lord, bless this time. May your spirit teach us and illumine our understanding as we look to your holy word today. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. In verse 16, Luke tells us, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. And since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. What we have in verse 16 is a time reference, a reference to biblical history, to the grand story 
of what God is doing really from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus makes the comment at the beginning of this verse, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. What does he mean by this reference to the law and the prophets? Well, really, it's a reference to the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures could be referred to in different ways in Jesus' time. They didn't call it the Old Testament like we call it. Generally, as you read through the New Testament, they call it the law. Sometimes just the law can refer to the whole Old Testament. Sometimes they'll call it the law, the prophets, and the writings, or the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Uh, Sometimes, like here, just the law and the prophets. But essentially what Jesus is doing is he is referring to all of Old Testament revelation, everything in our Bibles from Genesis to Malachi. And he's saying, he's saying a very important thing here. He's saying all the way up until John, the law and the prophets were proclaimed. Now, which John is this? This is not John, one of the 12 disciples. This is John the Baptist. So this is John, the one who God brought into the world and miraculously allowed Zachariah and Elizabeth to have as a son, brought this young man into the world to specifically for the mission of preparing the way for Jesus. He fulfills this role of the forerunner, the one who will go before me and prepare the way, make straight the way of the Lord, make level the mountains. He is the one who was to come. And so John the Baptist was essentially a transitional figure. John the Baptist is really unique because he kind of has his foot in both the Old Testament and the New. He is the last prophet in the line of prophets of the Old Testament. And so you have all the prophets really from, you could say even Noah, Abraham were prophets, but really especially beginning with Moses and then going forward through all the prophets of the Old Testament, you have all of these prophets called by God to serve as spokespeople, spokesmen for God, to declare his word, to to bring his will, his mission to Israel as a people. And you have all of these prophets from Moses all the way through Malachi. And then there's a period of silence from Malachi until John. And then John arrives on the scene and much like in the pattern of the Old Testament prophets, he comes preaching, you need to turn, you need to repent because one is coming after me whose sandals I am not even worthy to unloose. He's gonna come and he's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit of salvation or if you reject him, he's gonna baptize you with the fires of judgment. One greater than I is coming. So John was kind of the last in the line of the Old Testament prophets, but he's also the transition to the new because he's preparing the way for Jesus. So when Jesus says the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John, he is saying right now, this very moment is a crucial turning point in all of history. Because now, since that time, since I have come, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. So Jesus is 
the transition from the old covenant to the new. One way of saying it is Jesus initiated a new era in God's program. Jesus is bringing something radically new to the world. It is the new covenant. It is a new era in God's program. And he says that from this time forward, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. What is the good news? The good news is the same word that we use when we say gospel. This is the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. Who is the king of that kingdom? It is Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. Now, what's interesting here and essential for us to understand is that when Jesus is saying the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, he is making a claim about himself and about this new era. And what he is saying is that right now, beginning now with his ministry, with his preaching of good news to the poor, his preaching of deliverance to the captives, his giving sight to the blind, raising the lame, raising the dead in the words of Isaiah 61. From this point on, this is the kingdom of God coming. When Jesus was here, the kingdom of God was here. And so this new era that Jesus is inaugurating involves the proclamation and advance of the kingdom of God. So when Jesus was here, he was the kingdom. Healing the sick, the blind, the lame, raising the dead, preaching good news to the poor, deliverance to the captives. He is the fulfillment of the coming of the kingdom of God. Well, what about after he died and rose again? Well, there's still an aspect of the kingdom that's still going on, isn't it? Because where is Jesus? After he died and rose again, Jesus went up to heaven. And where is he now? He is seated, isn't he? He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus himself is seated on a throne. Revelation chapter 2 and 3 tell us that. Jesus himself right now is seated on a throne at the right hand of God. Before Jesus ascended, what did he say? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So when he was here, the kingdom of God was here. He is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is king over the universe, isn't he? He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. One day, Jesus is returning again and the kingdom of God will be fully and completely fulfilled, consummated, completed. So there are aspects of the kingdom of God that begin with Jesus' ministry, that go on even now with Jesus' heavenly intercession at the right hand of the throne of God, and will be culminated, consummated when he returns and establishes his kingdom fully and finally here on earth in a new and glorious age. But this new era that Jesus is inaugurating involves the proclamation and advance of the kingdom of God. He says, 
Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. And everyone is forcing their way into it. And that phrase is confusing. wonder what Jesus means here by this. And I want to look at a parallel in Matthew 11 that I think might help us a little bit. Matthew 11 has some of the same words that we see here in Luke 16. Matthew 11, verse 12 says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, so that's very much like Luke 16, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, which I believe is synonymous with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. So, What does this mean? The the kingdom of heaven is being attacked. The kingdom of heaven is being raided against, pillared and plundered is essentially what this word means. So people, I believe the, the essence of what this is saying is people in opposition to the kingdom of God, opposing the kingdom of God. And so we go back to Luke 16 and we can see where it says, and Everyone is forcing their way into it. I take it in in a hostile sense, much like Matthew 11, in which people are violently opposing, setting themselves up against the kingdom of God, represented by its leader, by its king, Jesus. Who is opposing the kingdom of God at that very moment that Jesus is speaking these words? The Pharisees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, the chief priests, the the whole religious leadership of Israel. They're opposing Jesus, which if they're opposing Jesus, they're opposing the kingdom of God, aren't they? And the irony of that is that the Pharisees think they're going to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. But Jesus has been revealing over the last couple of chapters, just because you're Israelites, just because you're children of Abraham, just because you're Pharisees and you're self-righteous, that does not grant you a ticket into the kingdom of God. In fact, you think you're going to be in the kingdom of God, but really you're in opposition to it. You're fighting against it. You're, You're opposing the king of the kingdom of God. And so you're going to be on the outside. But the blind, the lame, sinners, tax collectors... Gentiles, they're going to be on the inside at the feast in the kingdom of God and you yourselves on the outside. So people are, in, are opposing the kingdom of God. People are in opposition to the kingdom of God. But here's the thing. The kingdom of God keeps advancing, doesn't it? The kingdom of God keeps advancing. Jesus says in verse 16 that the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. It's being proclaimed. And much like the parable of the four types of ground, that is the proclamation of the kingdom, isn't it? When that seed is being thrown out. As the sower of the seed is going out, planting the seed, he's throwing out the message of the word of God. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. And what happens to that seed in the parable of the four types of ground? Well, some receive it and some don't. Some seem to receive it for a time, but ultimately don't. But there are some who hear the message, it goes into their hearts, it takes root, 
and it grows and it produces fruit. So there are some who hear the kingdom of God and as they hear and as they believe and as they come to Christ and are brought into his family, the kingdom of God is advancing, isn't it? It's advancing. Much like a couple of the other parables that Jesus told about the kingdom, a little bit of leaven in a loaf and what happens? The whole loaf grows or a little tiny mustard seed. And you plant that little mustard seed in the ground and it seems like this little tiny seed, one of the smallest seeds that you can imagine. And yet when you plant it, it grows up and becomes something large enough for birds of the air to come and rest and perch in. The kingdom of God is advancing. People are opposing it. The Pharisees, even the religious people of Jesus' day were opposing it. Well, we have opposition today, don't we, to the kingdom of God? All around us, we have opposition to the kingdom of God. We have people opposing Christianity in opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ, in opposition to the gospel, opposition to the Christian faith, opposition to the church. We have places in the world where Christians are openly persecuted and killed. We have places in the world where Christians are imprisoned for the faith. We have in, in America a growing animosity toward Christianity and the Christian faith. People are opposing the kingdom of God, but here's what Jesus reminds us of. It keeps on advancing, doesn't it? It keeps on advancing. The gates of hell shall not prevail against my church, Jesus said. And how is the kingdom of God advancing? It's not with swords. It's not with guns. It's not with tanks. How is the kingdom of God advancing? It's advancing with the proclamation of the gospel, isn't it? That's how the kingdom of God advances with the proclamation of the gospel. The word of God goes out and the Holy Spirit goes with it and he converts souls and he draws people into that kingdom. And that little mustard seed becomes a tree. That little leaven fills the whole loaf. And so the kingdom of God is being proclaimed and advancing. And I think Jesus is also saying something important here when he says when he mentions the law and the prophets because he's referring to the whole old testament time but he's also i believe making reference to something specific with the law itself because in verse number 17 he says it is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out from the law Matthew has something very similar in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And so in Luke 16, when Jesus says it's easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law, he's referring to the fact that Jesus is inaugurating a new era in God's program. That inauguration of a new era in God's program involves the proclamation of an advancement of the kingdom of God. And it also involves really a new role a new relationship that now we have as Jesus people to the Old Testament law of God. Because Jesus is saying all of the law 
all of the prophets, they pointed to me. But now I am here and I am fulfilling them. I've not come to abolish them, he says in Matthew 5, 17. I have come to fulfill them. So all the Old Testament law, the tabernacle, the temple, the tapestries, the the metal, the gold furnishings, the priesthood, the tablets of law, the, the whole Old Testament system, the sacrificial system, the guilt offerings, the burnt offerings, all of these things, they pointed to Jesus, didn't they? But now he's here. He's here. And so he is initiating a new era. And that new era also involves a change in the relationship that we have to the Old Testament law. And that's evidenced throughout the New Testament by several examples. And I'll just give you a few of them. According to the New Testament, it is no longer required for God's people to fall under the law of circumcision, right? In the Old Testament, Every male had to be circumcised according to the law. On the eighth day, every male had to be circumcised. It was the sign of Abraham. It was the sign of the covenant. But in the New Testament, what about Gentiles? What about those outside of the descendants of Abraham who come into the faith? In the New Covenant, it was decided we're not going to lay this burden on them. There's a change. What about all these Old Testament dietary rules, restrictions? Leviticus 11, these meats are clean These meats are unclean. You can eat these things. You cannot eat these things. But then the new covenant comes, a new era in God's program with Jesus. And God comes to Peter and says, now I'm sending you as a missionary to Gentiles, to the house of Cornelius. And I want you to be able to sit down and eat at his table. So everything is now declared clean. No more difference, no more distinction between clean and unclean. Why? Because I'm inviting the Gentiles into my family. And you're going to go and sit down at his table and eat with him. And so several of the of of these things have changed because our relationship to the law has changed. Why? Because Jesus has come. Jesus has come. Paul says in Ephesians chapter two that Jesus has taken these rules and regulations, the handwriting of ordinances, and he has nailed them to the cross putting them to death so that now both Jews and Gentiles may be unified in one body as one people under Christ, the head. Now as Christians, we have a new relationship with the law and what we follow now essentially is the authority, the words of Christ. Not that the law ceases to have validity, But we are no longer under the law as the Old Testament Israelites were under the law. Now the law is a testament. It is a prophetic witness to Jesus and what he has come to accomplish. And now the primary guide, code of ethics, if you will, are the teachings of Christ. The law of Christ. The law of grace, if you will. So that Jesus can say, In Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So back in Luke 16, he said, 
heaven and earth will pass away, but every one of the words and letters and little smallest parts of the letter of the law and the prophets will be fulfilled. Well, who were they fulfilled in? They were fulfilled in Jesus. And now Jesus is saying, now my words are authoritative. Not that Moses and the prophets no longer have validity, but they just pointed to me. So now when you read Genesis, now when you read Deuteronomy, now when you read Isaiah, you still read them and they're still the word of God, but you read them in light of the fact that I have come and I have brought fulfillment to them. So now we're reading the Old Testament, but we're reading it through the the lenses, if you will, of Jesus and his death and resurrection and ascension to heaven. And so Jesus says, now my words will never pass away. Right before he ascended to heaven, Jesus said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. So whose words do we follow? We follow Jesus' words. We follow the Bible, but ultimately we follow Jesus' words. We follow the authority of Christ. So all authority has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey what? Everything that I have commanded you. What's the content? What's the essential message that we're bringing to the nations? The words of Christ. Everything that I have commanded you. And so we give them the whole counsel of God, Genesis to Revelation, but we give it to them under the authority of the words of Christ. Because he says, I want you to tell them everything I have commanded you, and I'm with you to the very end of the age. So verses 16 and 17, when Jesus says the law and the prophets proclaimed were proclaimed until John, and since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, he's saying this is a change in era. This is a change in, in era. This is a new time. The new covenant has come. And so these verses teach us this. Jesus initiated a new era in God's program. And it is his words that hold divine authority. That's what the Pharisees had a hard time with. And that's why I think these verses are here in the middle of Luke chapter 16. Because the Pharisees had a hard time with Jesus' parable of the shrewd steward. The Pharisees are going to have a hard time with the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The Pharisees had a hard time with the three parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. The, parables, the, the Pharisees have a hard time with these teachings of Jesus because they have a hard time with the authority of Jesus. And in these couple of verses, Jesus is saying, everything before me pointed to me. And now that I am here, now I am telling you to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them what I have told you. So Jesus has come. It's a new era in God's program. A new covenant is being inaugurated and Jesus' words bear divine authority. So here's an application of that for our day, for our culture. There are people in our culture who 
like Jesus as long as Jesus agrees with them. So they might pull and, and pick out a few verses in red from their New Testament that Jesus said. And they'll quote those verses. One favorite is Matthew 7, verse 1. You're not supposed to judge me, right? Judge not, that you be not judged. Or they'll quote the golden rule, do unto others as you have them do unto you. They'll quote, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you. But they don't like all the words of Jesus. They'll pick and choose, which is common for our cafeteria approach culture, our postmodern culture, that they just pick and choose what you want. Make up your own religion as you go. If you like a little bit of Jesus, that's fine. If you like a little bit of Confucius, that's fine. If you like a little bit of Buddha, that's fine. Just make up your own as you go along. But here's the thing. Jesus does not allow that approach to him. Jesus does not allow that approach to his claims. Jesus is saying, you, you accept me for who I am, for all of me or none of me. He's not just a wise teacher that you can glean a few things from. He's the son of God. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He is the one who possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus is not just a crucified savior. He is a risen Lord and King and gloriously seated at, in heaven at the right hand of the throne of God and one day will gloriously appear and every eye will see him and they will mourn. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So do not be ashamed of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of it. Our world, our current culture wants to cancel you, right? Our world wants to cancel you and say, be quiet. You shouldn't say those things. Don't post those things on Twitter about Jesus. Don't post those things on Facebook about the gospel or about Christianity. The world wants to cancel you, but do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew and also to the Gentile. Jesus has authority and his kingdom is advancing. Sometimes it's hard to see, right? Sometimes it's hard to see, just like it's hard to see a little mustard seed, just like it's hard to see where the leaven is in the loaf of bread. Sometimes it's hard to see, but it is growing, it is advancing, and it is moving forward through the proclamation of the gospel. And so may we be used by God to advance his kingdom by being missionaries and ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ bringing the authoritative words of Jesus to sinners who need to hear them and who need to repent and believe. So may God be blessed to use us to advance his purposes in the world. Let's bow together in prayer. Father in heaven, we just thank you for the time that we've had this morning to reflect on your word. In these two short verses, there's a lot for us to consider, a lot for us to meditate on and to think about the ways that they apply to our hearts and lives. 
Lord, I, I pray that for us as believers, for myself, for our church family here, that you would help us, Lord, to be bold, to not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Lord, help us to carry forth the word of life, the light of truth, not in a hostile way, not in a, in a um, abrasive way or rude, but Father, just in a way that is clear, in a way that is loving, but in a way that is unashamed of the truth of the gospel of Christ. And Father, may you be pleased through us as your instruments to bring many, many more souls into your church and to advance the, the growth of your kingdom. Father, we do pray for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We look forward to the time when Jesus returns and all is fulfilled, all is completed. Father, may he come, but until that day, may we be faithful servants and missionaries, ambassadors for the good news of the kingdom of Christ. And we pray this in his name, amen.